Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. All right, Barry Prime, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks, Brett, and yourself? Good to see you again, mate. It's been a few years. Yeah, it has indeed. Yeah, I think <laughs> the last time I saw you was at a coaching conference on the Gold Coast. Yeah, that's you right. You're walking along the street with Ashley Callis. Oh, right, yeah. I'm trying so to get him on the podcast too. too bad. <laughs> <laughs> mate, it's been a while. You've known me for, for a long time, since I was a young pup, which means I've known you for a long time too. So we, we go way back, eh? Yeah, since the mid-90s, I think. Yeah, I came yeah. to Australia in 93, so probably would have bumped into you around about that time. Yeah. To you, 95, somewhere around there anyway. What are you doing these days? I work with Swimming Queensland in a coach and club development role. So mm-hmm. I travel around Queensland interacting and working with the coaches and then um, putting on clinics and camps and in a mentoring capacity, really. And then also within Brisbane too. That's interesting. I want to I want to talk about that because part of what I want to do with the podcast is coaches' education. So in terms of your specific role, um, what are th- what are the things you hit on when you're going out to do coaches mentoring? Basically, I observe and listen, <laughs> yeah. and it's a matter of building up the relationship first. That that there was there was no book for me to to look at, so uh, I just found that. It's building up the relationships with the coaches so that uh, they feel confident enough to open up to you. A bit like what you, you're doing here. You know, yeah. you've studied psychology. That's not my expertise, but people need to feel comfortable with you to open up. So I try not to force my opinions on people, but if they ask for my opinion, then I'll, I'll tell them straight. Yeah. Yeah. So, What are some of the things you're finding that, that, coaches need help with or coaches need the mentoring with um i think self-belief right and uh that's self-belief is big you know you need it if you're competing in lane four you need it uh, in all types of competitions and the coaches need self-belief in themselves and self-confidence that they can do a good job so my my style is to try and encourage them really and uh, in a positive way, but, can, you know, provide constructive criticism too. Yeah. Uh, but also I find swimming technique, um, mm. uh, that, that's key too. And I feel that most people can actually talk it very, very well. And then you actually see what's happening in the pool and um, you see lots of areas where things can actually improve. What's your opinion on why Queensland has always been so strong? Why are they, why are they so good? That's interesting. Um, when, I, when I was at the Institute, I always felt, well, Queensland, great. You know, I always mm. had that sort of impression of it mm. and uh, particularly Brisbane as well. And, uh, but then I was fortunate enough to come and work here in 2015, which was perfect for me. And um, the outdoor lifestyle, being close to the coast generally, there's a rawness about it. Um, it's not rounded off at the edges yet, and it's not too refined. And uh, mm. every because of the outdoor lifestyle, I feel that uh, 
you know the psych there's something about the psychology here as well it's raw and it's it's competitive too that, that yeah that that puts it in a, a yeah. crude nutshell i feel is learning to swim mandatory for kids in queensland uh no but there's most schools have swimming pools particularly in brisbane Right, and obviously being close to the ocean, and uh, most people learn to swim at a very early age, and many people have their own backyard pools too. Right. And those people that live out in the country, live on farms, they often have dams, so their children often learn to swim in dams. But they need to be careful, of course. Yeah, it just seems like it's a hotbed, you know, Queensland of, of talent. It's like year after year, the talent that comes out of Queensland is just quite remarkable. Yeah, plus the sort of role that I've been doing, it's been going back since the 90s when mm. I was here. I think it was Scott Volkers and Michael Bowl. Mm. They were involved doing um, coach education and uh, going out visiting programs country programs and putting on clinics and that so way back since then so the type of activity i'm doing now along with drew mcgregor that heads the program up and brant best you would know brant best um yeah so so this type of activity has been going on a long time now and uh, so i think that plays an important role working with the coaches and they feel confident with us and just recently we've had the national age groups and national championships and and we get a lot of thanks from them they say really appreciate what you're doing you you assist us with having you know self-belief in ourselves and that we've still got a long way to go but um you know that's the sort of feedback that we get well it seems like they're well supported all around in queensland too so apart from just the kind of the mentorship that you're providing it, it seems to me like there are other avenues where coaches can, you know, access resources. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, that's correct. You know, that's what we are really. It's uh, I'm a resource. So they come to me if they want to know anything about swimming. And if I don't know the answer, then I'll know where to find the answer because of my background. And then mm. also because I, I know most of the people involved in swimming in in various areas, you know, so I can provide them with, with the links that they actually need or, or the direct information. And who funds all this? Where does all this money come from to fund Queensland Swimming? Um, swimming Queensland itself, they do get some funding for TID camps from um, the Queensland Academy of Sport. Uh, but otherwise, it comes from Swimming Queensland. I think there was there, there may be some sort of small funding from Swimming Australia as well. I must admit, I don't have to get involved with, with the funding. Somebody else deals with all that. I don't even know the figures that, that are actually involved. And also, some of the regions actually make a contribution as well. Right. So, right. That, so that we go out there and support the regions and visit the programs and... Um, yeah, put on various clinics and for them. So a lot of state funding too. I mean, it's amazing yeah. that it's just so sustainable like that. And but it, but it's all yeah. But uh, it's quite simple too. What what we do, and then we we don't really have to report to many committees. I work directly with regional presidents, so it doesn't get bogged down in in committees, you know. Mm. Uh, and and we can we can respond very very quickly to the concepts and ideas that uh, we, we have to put them in place. 
is there pressure involved in your job? Like, do you, do you, is there accountability for you? Like in terms of, like, yes. yeah, where, where yeah, does that yeah. come from? All right. Well, there, there's accountability and the regions want to know how, you know, for their investment, what, yeah. what are they actually getting? Yeah. Right. You know, so, so that we, we do reports for that, but I don't feel pressure like, I used to when I was working with elite athletes. It's not not that type of pressure. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't feel I don't have the stresses of the day to day coaching and the international competition that um, you know the pressures that uh, you have when when you're dealing with that situation. But you'd certainly get that emotional involvement too, wouldn't you? Yes. No, you do because uh, you know. Once again, you, you you see a talented coach, you see a talented athlete. You mm-hmm. want to help them uh, to achieve their the best that they can possibly achieve. So I actually enjoy working with the next generation of uh, coaches and athletes. Uh, get any? Give, I was going to say, do you get any pushback? Like, is there is there some coaches that don't want any help? So far. No, good. Every program I've been to, they've been absolutely delighted that you've made the effort and right. turn up to 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 observe them. Yeah. They're eternally grateful. Uh, and now I don't know if that's because there, there's a healthy respect there from both parties, myself and the coaches. Plus, they respect the people that are actually involved. That they're there there to help and support and assist, and not to impose their their own beliefs on you, on them, you right. know, so we're there just to support them. How long do you go into a program for? Um, I can go and visit a program for an hour, a couple of hours, or I can have a meeting with them. And then that's followed up with, with phone calls or emails. You know, right. if I feel that there's, there's information that that's useful to the coaches, I will send it out to selected groups, that type of thing. Do you ever get any interaction with the athletes as well? Yes, uh, particularly when we do uh, clinics. But w- once again, it's more interaction with, with the coaches and uh, but also try to provide positive encouragement for the athletes. But I don't go in there and then try and coach the athletes unless a coach says, oh, could you have a look at this athlete and work with them? Then, then I will do that. Well, listen, I... Um... I'm I'm not critical of the system at all. I think it's amazing. I feel like that like I said the talent that comes out of Queensland, the the high level of coaching and you said this program's been around since the 90s. So I just think that Queensland have figured it out. And bringing you in is is a master stroke because you're you're you know what you're doing and you're a, you're a great coach, you're a great mentor. So I think having you as a real asset it was very smart of whoever hired you. But uh, I think Kevin I think, Hassman, I, there we are. Kevin Hassman Kevin. is the chief executive, and he's the person that came came up with these concepts. Yeah, he did. He didn't. He didn't want somebody that was going to draw up all the nice plans on paper and it looks great on paper, but actually doesn't actually function. You know, yeah. ours. We don't. We we have it written down on paper, but we we don't need that. We can respond very very quickly, and it it, it all works in a very practical way. Yeah. And also, the person that employed me, interviewed me, was Stefan Widmark, as he took over. The, the, the head coach of uh, Swimming Queensland, that was in 2015. But, of course, he's moved on to Singapore and Drew McGregor now leads it and he's doing a great job. Got lots of energy, lots of ideas, lots of energy. 
Well, if this is working, it's been working for so so long and you're having incredible results in Queensland, are the other states copying what you're doing? Are the other states doing what you're doing? Yes, they, they do sim- similar things. I'm not sure exactly what, what they do. The, um, there's conversations that go on between, between the states and Drew sits on the leadership coaches uh, for the country that work with the national, national head coach. Um, but with respect, I don't think they have the type of experience that we have with myself, Brant, and someone like Drew yeah. with the leadership and energy that he actually provides. Uh, they, they have good people doing what, what they're doing, and, uh, and, uh, and I have the utmost respect for them. You know, but uh, it just—I think the camaraderie among, amongst Queensland coaches is very good. It's extremely competitive, particularly in Brisbane, and now I find him within the regions as well. The coaches didn't come together as closely, uh, but now with with the involvement of us and vis- interacting with them and trying to bring them together on clinics and working uh, closer together all the time and sharing knowledge, then, um, yeah, it seems to be working pretty well at the moment anyway. Well, tell us your story, mate. I never really, I never really got to ask you this, you know, when I was back swimming, it was all about me, but now it's, uh, yeah, right. we're, <laughs> we're going to turn this on you. Tell me about you. Uh, you're, you're an Olympian, uh, 72 yes. Olympian, right? Yeah. I uh, just come from a small country town, 20,000, outdoor pool, summer only. Played in the pool from nine till four. And then just playing tick, diving off the boards, walked home, had a ice cream with the, with the dentist's daughter. That was when I was 11 <laughs> or 12. And then, uh, then I started having an interest, swimming with the school, and then found a coach and and uh yeah traveled an hour to training each day and where was then, this uh, this was in a place called rushton then i traveled to a place called north northampton uh-huh. and then ha- because they only had club night once a once a week then i had to travel to a different club each day to train just for 45 minutes mm. and then i was fortunate to have a coach that um that motivated me and inspired me. I look forward to seeing him each day. He made me laugh. So if you see me, I like laughing on deck. It puts yeah. me at ease. And um, So you took some of his traits. What was his name? Yeah, uh, uh, Neville Cross. Neville. He's originally from South Africa. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but mm-hmm. uh, great, great character. Yeah. yeah, there's a few of my traits uh, within him. And then I didn't actually start training, uh, morning training, till I was 16. And then at the age of um, 17, number one and two in the country declined to go on a pre-Olympic camp. And I said, yes, I'd like to go. And I actually, within that period of time, from doing 8K a day to 14K a day, I improved 10 seconds to make the Olympic team on 200 and 400 medley. Oh, Although wow. I started off as a backstroker, so we used to compete at a youth level within Europe, six nations against the Netherlands, East Germany, USSR, Sweden, that, that, that type of competition. Why did I always think you're a breaststroker? Because I came to the Australian Institute of Sport in 93 as a breaststroke coach. 
Oh, okay. I had, uh, had coached a guy called Nick Gillingham to a medal at the Olympics in 92. Right. And it equaled and broken the world record on 200 breaststrokes. So Don, Don Talbot at the time wanted a breaststroke coach to take over from Terry Gathercole at the Australian Institute of Sport. Mm. So I applied for the position, not thinking I would get it, but I did get the job. And I wasn't going to come at all costs, but I thought the opportunity was too good to turn down. So I came for less money, but the best decision I ever made. So I got the opportunity yeah, to work closely with Don and Gennady Turetsky. We'll, so we'll get into that. I yeah. Gennady for nine years, you know. Yeah, I want to dig into some of those stories because I'm sure you've got a couple. But in terms of just... I've um... got a lot, but I can't <laughs> tell them all. <laughs> tell a, we'll tell a couple. Come on, think, yeah, it, think a tell, couple of good tell, ones. I can tell a couple. <laughs> what about Nick Gillingham? What was it like coaching him? Because he's a name that I remember of just being um, an incredible swimmer. Yeah, very professional athlete. Mm. And... Um, the guy, there was another gentleman that coached him before me, Rick Bailey. He did a great job with him. And, um, and then at the end of 88, I moved, I, yeah, I moved, I moved clubs every four years in Great Britain mm -hmm. uh, to coincide with the Olympic Games. And I actually left at the top of my game in each club and um, managed to have Olympians in each of those programs. They didn't all win, win medals. And then, uh, Went to the city of Birmingham in 1990, no, 1989. We got three on the team, and uh, including uh, two Paralympians. And uh, Nick was uh, one, yeah, he's one of the swimmers that went on and won a, won a bronze medal there. Unfortunately, we're, yeah, we were aiming for gold. We didn't get it. I thought, thank God we got silver. And um, sorry, thank God we got bronze. So um, was that was the year the two, two Americans went one, two? Uh, no, that was uh, Mike Barrowman, Barrowman and the Hungarian. Oh, okay. Um, the Hungarian came second. Yeah. Okay. Nick yeah. went rank went in rank number one in the world at the time. Uh, unfortunately, he carried an injury, but that's life. I deal with that. So yeah, yeah. But you got me the job in Australia. And you came at a, an incredible time, like you said. You turn up around the same time that Gennady Turetsky's turn up. So now you're, yeah, you're teammates with him. Yeah. And it was, uh, and that was at the time, 93 as well, Australia, it was announced that they were getting the Olympics. In, and then, um, yeah, all eyes were focused on Sydney 2000 then. But uh, I actually got a, when I was 13, I, I used to get all the swimming magazines from the US and Australia. I actually won the Sports Person of the Year at school and I bought a book at the time, Swimming to Win by Don Talbot. Mm -hmm. and um little did i know that uh, 26 years later he'd be interviewing me for a job <laughs> i was in india on holiday and he interviewed me for the job and says right you got the job see you in february so uh, i was very fortunate but also with gennady there as well at the, at the beginning gennady i was the only person he could understand because i talked quite slowly right. compared to other people and all he could understand from the Australians was yeah, 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 like that. <laughs> and because I spoke slower, he, he, un he understood me when I, when I spoke because I'm more from the country area, you know. Yeah. So what was the who, who was the first part of your group? Who did you start coaching in Australia? Um, 
Damien, a guy called Damien Borden, and originally he, at the World Short Course, he came fifth. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody, uh, Lin- Linley Frame. Linley, yeah. Uh, yeah, hers was like, a, if you like, a rescue job. She'd uh, been involved in a car accident, so she came into the Institute, and then, um, then I started coaching her. And I think, like, you may have been on, were you on the 95 World Short Course? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maria. that yeah, so that may have been the first team we were on the on the there together, and at that time I was also coaching Scott Miller. All right, and um, and then uh, and yeah, I didn't get anybody on the '96 Olympic team, uh, unfortunately. My people just just missed, but Don kept me on, and then got four on the team in uh, in 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 2000. So uh, and then three in 204. So. Yeah, and and then took re, a guy called Regan Harrison, mm-hmm. Reggie. And, um, yeah, and then uh, la- later on ended up taking people like Adam Pine, um, a guy called Ray Hass. Uh, yeah, yeah, a whole whole range of people really. All right, well then, give us a Don Talbot story, mate. What have you got in terms of Don? I, I tell you what, it was great because I felt I was right in the crux of it all. You were, and we we used to. Um, you know, it was great working with a group of international coaches, Jim Fowley, Gennady Turetsky, mm-hmm. Mark Regan, before him, a guy called Bill Nelson. And uh, we used to have the meetings in the office and uh, my office and another coach's office, Mark Regan, pretty big. And Don is sitting there next to me and off he's going and uh, he's swinging his arms around and I <laughs> grabbed his arm. I said, Don, stop swinging your arms. Otherwise I'm going to end up with a broken nose, <laughs> you know, and, um, like, and I always got on well with Don and, yeah. uh, he challenged me, but I challenged him back. He, I think he always wanted to see whether, whether you had the self belief, you know, to right. challenge him as well. So I was quite fortunate, although yeah, I never got the finger in the chest. No, Another no. time, G- Gennady was sitting one side of the room and Don's sitting the other, and then Don gets up. I've never heard him swear before. He walks over to Gennady, points at him. He says, Gennady, you want to play FNR ball? I'll show you how to play FNR ball. <laughs> you know, so uh, Don wasn't the, the guy that swore. Hard taskmaster, but great. I, I, I thought he was great. And, um, you know, like I used to have to apply for my job every two years and managed to stay there for 12 years. And the government paid for me to become a citizen as well. So I'm quite fortunate, really. Not bad. eh? You got you got it all. That's good. What about uh, what about Gennady? What made Gennady so good? Every, he's a very intelligent man. Whether you spoke with about English literature, he was good. I wasn't. He spoke about art. He knew everything about art. He spoke about how missiles f- work. He knew about that. Wow. He was good at mathematics. He was good with the psychology, uh, particularly with psychology, I think, with the athletes. And for all, all the troubles that... Um, he encountered he he got 100% support from from his from his athletes he was just a brilliant man he used to initially when we had team meetings uh, my, myself Jim Fowley Mark Regan would stand there and 
give our few words of wisdom. And because Gennady couldn't actually speak the la language at the time, he used to get out and play his guitar and the harmonica and sing a song, <laughs> you know, so that, yeah. So, so uh, he was good with music and he, you get onto music, he'd, he'd know, no, yeah, no, no, the history of the music, the blues and everything like that. And he particularly loved, loved the blues. Yeah. It seemed to me like he, uh, like Australia gave him a new lease of life. I'm sure that's kind of how you felt too, right? Yeah, what me? What yeah. for him or me? Yeah, both of you for guys. Him, I him. mean, both of you at the same yeah. time. And you know, I, I, I tell you, before I came to Australia, I used to wear a shirt and tie and a jacket and trousers, dry, and I was traveling ninety miles to work. And then I'd get there morning train, and then I'd go into the office, and I'd have to go into the city up twelve floors into the lift because I was responsible for six thousand learn to swim. And, uh, and an advanced coaching scheme. So uh, the head coach, but you had to oversee and manage all that too. But uh, then I came to Australia and I could just wear a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. And um, I must admit, I thought I was on holiday for the first five years, not because <laughs> I was on holiday, yeah. but because I was just in an environment that was absolutely fantastic for swimming with all the sports science support and working yeah. with a group of international coaches and uh, working with, um, you know, Don Talbot and, uh, yeah, a team that was aiming to be the best in the world. And in 2001, we actually achieved that on gold medals at the world, at the world championships, which was the proudest moment in Don Talbot's life. The reason I know that is because I went to the press conference and that's exactly what he said. Yeah, I think Grant that's the only, only time I saw him cry was, uh, was that yeah. moment. Yeah, and when Grant Hackett, I think, broke the world record in the 1500, I think it was 1434 at the time, you know. So, as you know, Don used to say, there's three ways to win a meet, <laughs> you know, um, gold medals, mm -hmm. uh, total medals or points, and you know that he'd, he'd want to win it on gold medals, and he, yeah. he achieved that in 2001, so we're fortunate to be on the team. Yeah. A great team to be part of mate. And uh, it was a great era to be part of, you know, in that build up to Sydney yeah. 2000, like you said, some, some incredible moments for Australian swimming. Um, I want your perspective on this. Why do you think the Institute didn't succeed completely? Okay. Well, that's arguable. You know, we could argue that point. I actually feel. Well, why did it go away? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know why it went away because they had a different model. I think at the time also when I was there, it was like the Institute versus everybody else. That's what it everybody, seemed like, yeah. Yeah, everybody was gunning for the Institute. Any chance they got, they tried to pull it down because they got, they got a lot of funding. Right. You know, and we, I think that we also took in a lot of athletes that were, weren't ranked number one. Some were but many of them were ranked number four or five and we had to try and turn them into n number one or, or mm. two. And, and I think that kept everybody honest, kept other people honest within the country too. Um, the other thing uh, I feel that the Institute acted as a catalyst for state institutes to do more for their athletes. Right. And they did more for their athletes at the time. And then, um, and then athletes started staying in their own states, um, and now and now the the the, uh, 
the various institutes within each state are providing more and more to, to their elite athletes. And then us, uh, the government went on a slightly different model. It was always difficult to get athletes to go, it, to go into the institute, but there was never a model that provided the coach, the athlete with all the support mechanisms in the one spot. Yeah. Now, I think they're looking at trying to provide that once again, not necessarily at, at the Australian Institute of Sport, like they had centers of excellence here. They, they just, it seems that they rebrand their names or constantly. It was centers of excellence or then it was a high performance center. Yeah. And they, they had people from the various institutes travel in and support them. Um, I think the future model, while I'm not privy to it, I just hear secondhand that it may be something like they will try to have, you know, some hubs or something like that where they've right. got all the support mechanisms in the one spot. And there may be a number of those dotted throughout the nation, right. which, which is good. Right. What do you think the downfall of having the athletes live together is? Because to me, it seemed like there was some negative associated with that like something wasn't right about it, something wasn't great about it and i get the feeling even at the uh, colorado springs training center that that was happening there too there's something about the athletes living together did you ever get a sense that the athletes there got complacent um hmm. i'm i'm not sure like here's my 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 view would be for an athlete that's come into the institute Come in, live there for a while. When you feel you can manage yourself, move out. Hmm. And, you know, when, when, you, when you've got those sort of management skills to look after yourself, cook for yourself and uh, function like, like other people may in, the, in, in a norm, normal situation. You know, perhaps some people may have taken it for granted, but hopefully those people were moved on quickly if we felt that they... They're always reviewed and assessed, and if they weren't up to scratch, then 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 we would then we would move them on, you know. Right. So yeah. and and that was overseen by Swimming Australia and ourselves. Although the view of Gennady would, who was the head coach at the time, he would have said, "Look, easy to kick people out, easy decision to make." but the best athletes in the world are not easy to manage. They're very difficult to manage. So we must find a way, you know, one way for one athlete, another way for other athletes. So he looked on people as individuals, although we, you know, we, we supported each other very well as a team too. Yeah. Mate, I, I tell you, I was one of those people that had a chip on the shoulder towards the AIS. And like, you know, I, I could have gone down you, you there. You just had, had a chip on your shoulder. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I needed that. I needed yeah, that. Yeah, of course you did. That's what made you good. You know, yeah. like you, you needed that sort of, you, you got that sort of edge to you, yeah. you know. And that, I mean, that's what, I, that's what I've always felt. We've always got on well. But uh, yeah, you, you obviously needed that from what, I mean, it's not for me to psychoanalyze you as to why that was there. You know, something <laughs> happened in your life. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more therapy that goes with that, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. No, we I think I think I think the best athletes. I'll, I'll try and maybe um, paint everybody with a broad brush here, but you know, some of the best athletes feel like you know 
things are against them you know, or they create situations where things are against them, you know? And I always did that of like, yeah, yeah, things are against me. I've got to overcome these obstacles and I'm going to prove people wrong and things like that. So that, that's okay. all, that always brought out the best in me. All right. That's good. And that's the way you obviously needed to think. I have never felt like that. I have always felt that I, I was actually very fortunate to be right. given the opportunities that I've been given. And uh, I, I almost feel that I've probably never even reached my potential for, I've done all right, but feel that I probably could have done better. Think, wow, what could you have done if you had really tried, you know? Yeah. But I feel that, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be in situations, whether that's in Great Britain, growing up with the best coaches, being in a good swimming program, being working with coaches that um, that inspired you, were very knowledgeable. And like, for example, when I when I was sort of seventeen, we were training in California, you know. So yeah. seventeen to twenty one, we'd we'd go to California. We'd swim at Mission Viejo. Even mm. swam at Santa Clara on one occasion with with George Haynes. That was just with my club program because. Yeah, my, my coach was ambitious there at the time. You know, he wanted wanted lots. Of, yeah, it was good for him to go and and gain further knowledge and take his swimmers with him as well. And so, yeah. When did you take a step back from the day to day coaching? Um, when I came back from Singapore, I left the AIS. In uh, my time was up at the AIS. Signed on for a two year contract. Managed to survive for for 12 years, a bit like a soccer coach it is really. So yeah. I, I managed to survive for, for 12 years. Then they brought, it, brought in a new crop of coaches, Shannon Rollinson, Vince Raleigh. They had athletes that had, um, could win medals at the major meets. And, and then they, so they, they brought those in, time for me to move on. I went into Clubland for a, a few years on the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. And then decided to move to Singapore mm. and uh, worked in Singapore for six and a half years and then uh, came back to Australia in, in, in 2015. But that was interesting, working in Singapore in another culture. Were you there and, when Sergio was there? or, or uh, No, Sergio came just after myself. Right. I, I was uh, the head coach at Singapore Sports School. I didn't go there as that originally. And then um, I was asked to apply for a job. Uh, I turned it down. Then I said, if you don't get the right person, come back to me. And mm. then uh, I was there. Yeah. So I went into the Singapore Sports School from the Singapore Swimming Club. And then um, to work on a particular project with a particular athlete, try and get them to win the Asian Games, which they did. And then, uh, yeah, 2015, I came back to Australia. And then uh, this position came up with Swimming Queensland and took it on and thoroughly enjoying what, what I'm doing, particularly at this stage of my life now too. Yeah. What's your take on Australian swimming right now? I mean, you were there, like, like we talked about, at, at the peak, you know, 2000, 2001, where, when it's booming. What has happened to it? I mean, I've been out of it, so I don't, I don't really know. I don't have a strong opinion either way. But, you know, obviously people have said, it's not as strong as it used to be. There's, there's fragments of, of kids that are doing really well, but like team wise, where's it gone wrong? Uh, I can't say that because I haven't been involved with, with the national team for some time myself, but uh, 
having said that, what, what was it? They had um, Don, then they yeah. had Greg Hodge, then they had Tomo. And I mean, he, they even said that Beijing was a failure. They came away with six gold medals there. So that, that's not bad for Australia, really, at the time. Um, uh, then, then they had Yako, and Yako had a, a different, different approach. Australia's style previous to that is, um, I wouldn't say dictatorial, but uh, similar type of style. Yeah. You know, Yako's was more sort of swimmer responsibility and stuff like that, which is possibly how he... He worked with, with the Netherlands. And also national event camps didn't go ahead until I think two years ago, they were reintroduced. And mm. I felt that they've always played a major role for uh, Australian athletes, bringing, bringing the athletes in for in national event camps, which is great for the coaches to, to come together as well. Explain you know, to the sure. audience what those are, what they look like. Okay, well, national event camps is where you identify the best athletes in, in the country on various events, and then you bring them into a training environment, and then you, tr you work together as a, a team, like could be the breaststrokers, the backstrokers, mm -hmm. middle distance free, sprint free, distance free, and you train together, you go to like that could be on the Gold Coast, mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then you train together, you know, you may be at separate venues, but there may be a few teams at a number, you know, a few different strokes at a number of different venues, but then you're all, you all stay in the same accommodation and all the sort sports science support are there and you congregate there as a team. And it's a great way to come together as a team and also to share knowledge with um, coaches that have people on, on the teams. And they weren't held, I think from 2008 through to, um, Mm, just right. a, just a few years ago yeah i like those too i think they're a great idea yeah and i think yako may not have really understood the concept but he held them for the first time two years ago and uh and then realized that yeah this is this is a very good concept and um obviously yako did did a great job but his styles was a little bit different from from uh what australia was used to previously and, uh, and obviously it needs to be different because we're not living in the 90s <laughs> now, you know, and, and the style needs to be different. But, no, he did, he, he, did a, he did a good job and it was just a slightly different style, but very knowledgeable guy. And I feel that what he did, he actually, get, at the major meet, although you, you may want better, you always want better, but um, I think he gave the athlete sort of, inner self-confidence and the coaches there, there wasn't that intensity and pressure at the major meets uh, that could have been uh, caused in in previous years got, gone by some people would say that's what's required other people would say no this is great so it's just a matter of getting getting the right balance well it seems that, to me like there's a there's a slight resurgence within australian swimming again. yeah yeah i mean we've just had the national age groups and uh the national open championships, the age groups was great. Like I was really impressed with, um, with the way people performed and technically as well too, I can see an improvement in, in, in that particular area. And once again, there's great camaraderie 
and also with Rowan Taylor now involved. Rowan understands swimming in Australia from learn to swim mm. to high performance. Mm. And um, Rowan may well be able to, from the ground up, have a groundswell of support from the whole nation. Yeah. And uh, although his key key role is to focus on the high performance, he he's very good at getting round and uh, generating the enthusiasm from the ground up. Yeah, you know, for sure. Which, which he understands very very well indeed. Do you think you'll ever? Do you have a desire to get back to the national level again? No, no. I feel, I feel that I've been there and I've yeah. done that. I don't yeah. actually miss it. I, I don't actually miss traveling the world. Yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, I really like. I live in Brisbane, and and I can go hour and a half north, hour and a half south, and I'm yeah. at the best beaches that you're likely to see, and the and the water you can still swim in it without a wetsuit. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, at one time in my life, I thought I might live in California, but I found Australia and I feel Australia suits me um, very well indeed. And particularly living in Brisbane, I feel it's like a, a hub for swimming in, in, in Australia and obviously Queensland itself. It's great. What do you think makes a great coach? Tell me that. What are, you've observed some really good coaches over the time. Uh, what are some of the attributes that make a great coach? Um. I think you've got to be a great communicator, really. Yeah. And uh, I think so. You, like, I think it. I feel that the the force of a coach's personality is really, really important. And every time I go in and observe people um, coaching, they want to tell you what they're doing in the water. Mm. In the end, I, you know, uh, I feel that. I'm not actually too worried about that because yeah. I feel that the communication and the relationship that you actually form with the athlete and the psychology component of it is probably more important. And every, and every individual is different. Obviously the coach has to be highly made motivated and self-driven and, you know, can go on and with all those superlatives and stuff like that. But I think communication is is key really and to get the, the athletes to believe in you you know yeah. what you're what you're telling them and advising them to do they really have that self-belief in you and, yeah. and plus they they got to enjoy turning up to see you every single day as well and so you know like yeah it just needs to be enjoyable you know you need to make it enjoyable and fun now fun it fun like i I don't mean ha, 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 you know, I mean, you need, you need that. But I always found with, with my athletes, I felt it was best when I was lighthearted yeah. as opposed to too serious. Yeah. And, uh, and if you're not careful, you can become too intense, particularly when you're working with elite swimmers and small groups um, because you focus on every little detail then. Sometimes you have to let things go, otherwise you, a coach can become too intense. But my, I think my swimmers that I had, they liked me because of who I am. I made them laugh occasionally, <laughs> and uh, they enjoyed that, and they enjoyed the lightless, yeah, and the humor that goes with that as well. And obviously, you you challenge them too. I yeah. always used to tell my swimmers, "Oh, don't worry, it's another easy session. Don't worry, it's just an easy session." Of course, they get out. <laughs> 
I thought you said it was going to get me and I said it was an easy session, <laughs> you know, but it obviously you challenge them in different ways and that. So. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, uh, let's finish with a, a story, man. You got a, any classic stories you can share with us from, uh, from your time? Um, let's have a look. I think like some videos you sent of us when we were at the 2001 world championships, they were actually very, very funny. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, on the bus where we all dressed up in the flowery shirts and that. Um, yeah, it was good camaraderie back then, eh? Yeah, but there still is, you know, yeah. when, when you're on the team. You can see, you know, like uh, you can go on the – when you're on the national team, there's always good camaraderie. Yeah. I don't see that that's changed What one iota. Yeah. You know, you, st you still have that. They're an extreme, extremely – tight tightly knit group you know and for funny stories i've got lots of them but I, yeah preps can't tell them you know and, <laughs> what have you found uh, about australians appropriate to tell me tell tell yeah. them you know yeah don't tell the appropriate uh, the no, inappropriate no, no. ones but no. what have you found about australians then i mean you see uh you see the way they compete against the u.s i mean you're yeah. originally from england oh, what oh, is it about I, the australian culture Okay, when I came over from, from Britain, I felt Australia want to win. They're an extremely competitive nation, particularly when it comes to sport, and that would be in business as well. And they, they want to win. You know that if you're going to go up against an Australian, they're going to be fit, and they're going to be tough, and they're going to, they're going to challenge you no matter what. You had Laurie Lawrence on the other day, and I, yeah. I scanned through that and had a had a look and you just know from him there's an Aussie for you yeah. all right and uh, what I observed um, when when I came from Britain is that Australia has a winning mentality Britain is doing very well at the moment their Olympic trials are very very good and particularly their men's four by two and Adam Peaty and a whole range of other other swims as well and that's taken a long time to change whereas when I was I was swimming I didn't have that self-belief. Now I've been in Australia for a long time. I have a lot of self-belief. Obviously, I'm a lot wiser and a lot more wisdom now at my age. But uh, being involved in this system, then I, I believe in, in swimming in Australia. And uh, I believe that they, they want to be the best in the world, you know. And uh, Dom was always drumming it, Dom Talbot want to be number one in the world. And, um, and when you get everybody believing that, then um, he finally achieved it. Uh, sometimes these days it's, oh, let's not put too much pressure on about trying to be number one in the world. America's mm -hmm. a big nation. And I feel that unless we start believing that we can, yeah. you know, we may not have as many, many as big a population, but at the same time, we can identify the athletes and ensure that we do a great job with those athletes so that uh, we can challenge the US. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's the so, thing, mate. Belief is contagious. And I think that's what yeah. Don, Don tried to instill that belief in all of us. He did. Sure. And he did. Yeah. did a great job. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, yeah. I appreciate you coming on today, sharing your wisdom, mate, and uh, sharing your story. Uh, good to catch yeah. up with you again. And, and you. Hey, yeah. keep up the great job you're doing. You like hey, this? Aren't you involved in development as well? With are you involved? Is it fitter and faster? Yeah, involved? yeah, yeah. yeah so I do fitter and faster clinics. So we do we do somewhere around two hundred and fifty to three hundred clinics around America, 
each year. So we're doing a ton of, ton of work. And then, um, and then I, you know, doing this as a hobby, but I I feel like this is a masterclass as well. Getting guys on like you to share your experiences. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been a lot of that. And so I'm, I'm happy to do this. No, you're doing a great job. All right. And, uh, I do follow it and see what, what you're doing and stuff like that. So keep up the great job that you're doing. And Cody went all right. Yeah, yeah, Cody's yeah. all right. He's doing all right. Yeah, he he, um, he uh, had a good hit out, got rid of the cobwebs, hadn't been in the water for a few weeks. So yeah. we'll see how things develop. Yeah, I don't know why you'd want to stop being a pop star to come be a swimmer, but, uh, you know. He's... Well, that's what he, you know, it's, uh, yeah, keep himself fit and healthy on the straight and narrow. Who yeah, knows? No, no, he, lo- he loves it. But <laughs> good luck to him, mate. Eh? I'm sure he enjoys it anyways, yeah. and that's the main thing. That's why we all did it. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, and we're just lucky to be involved with it. So, yeah. All right, Baz. Appreciate right, it, mate. You take care. Good to yep. talk to you. See you, mate. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for event heat lane name of swimmer times and places one click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time go to swimpractice.com to learn more